somewhere in space. This may all be happening right now. Welcome to Star Wars at the Movies. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. At the Movies. An international oral history of cinematic experiences from a galaxy far, far away. I've seen Star Wars about a dozen times. I've seen Star Wars 17 times. 17 times. Star Wars? Uh, 24 times. 40 times and it was great each time. 45. About 57 times. You can never get too much of Star Wars. I... I've seen the first Star Wars 153 times. All together, we have seen Star Wars 324 times. We've been here for six days and it's great! Hello there. Welcome to the first full episode of the Star Wars at the Movies podcast, which simply wouldn't exist if it weren't for something that happened 40 years ago today. On May 25th, 1977, Star Wars officially opened on 32 screens in the United States, and the world's movie-going landscape was permanently altered. It happened again in 1980 with The Empire Strikes Back, and once more for what appeared to be the last time in 1983 with Return of the Jedi. My name is Stephen Danley, and I wasn't there. But I'll hopefully be hearing from many that were. That's the mission of this podcast, to record an international oral history of the Star Wars trilogy's cinematic golden age. But first, I, I figured it might be worthwhile to throw out a couple numbers, with it being the film's 40th anniversary. These are from a fantastic retrospective article in Michael Coates' History, Legacy, and Showmanship column from the Digital Bits. The original Star Wars had an opening day box office gross of $254,809. It has since taken in another $775,143,198. in worldwide box office revenue. I'm not usually interested in box office numbers, but to see where it began and how it proliferated is astonishing. By the end of the weekend, it had taken in $1.6 million, and by the end of that summer, it had reached $133.7 million. It was a movie amoeba that just kept growing. Its 43 opening week bookings eventually expanded to 6,308 first-run engagements, and 24 of those theaters grossed over a million in their first engagement, the longest of which was 76 weeks at the uh, Westgate Triplex in Beaverton, Oregon. 1,756 theaters had opening week bookings for its first theatrical re-release in July of 1978, bringing in another $10.2 million. While these are just numbers, and they go on and on and on, they do kind of help quantify Star Wars as a theatrical phenomenon. Coates' article, which I'll include in the show notes, also has this comprehensive and chronological list of the movie's theater runs in most cities throughout the U.S. and Canada. So if you're curious about when it hit your hometown, be sure to check it out. For the first time in cinema history, set and costumes from a screen spectacular have become museum pieces even before the first showing. At London Science Museum, youngsters of every age are drawn to this cavalcade of way-out stars. 
this has been the biggest build-up of any motion picture. Characters like C-3PO and R2-D2 promise to become as familiar as Snow White and Mickey Mouse. In true Hollywood tradition, they bid to become the screen's first lovable robots. British actors include Alec Guinness as Ben Kenobi and Peter Cushing. Mark Hamill plays Luke Skywalker in the £6 million epic. The attendance at Star Wars has been almost astronomic. Queues are still forming. In America, more money was taken at box offices in one week than for the prestigious Jaws. In London, after a month, almost 600,000 flocked to see the film. An all-time record. What is the attraction of Star Wars? Who can say? There have been lavish spectaculars before. Perhaps it's because this one takes the best from all the rest. Color, breathless excitement, fantasy. And because we on this planet are already touching space with a tentative finger, more reality than we care to admit. The fact is, Star Wars is out of this world. So the clip you've just heard, as you might guess, is an excerpt from a British news story that has some awesome footage of the movie's debut across the pond. On this episode, we'll be heading to Great Britain, and more specifically the town of Burntwood in Staffordshire, to hear from Mark Newbold, a familiar face to many in the Star Wars community. Mark is the daily content manager of Jedi News and the co-host of the Radio 1138 podcast. He's written numerous articles for StarWars.com and the Star Wars Insider magazine, among many other outlets. But before we get to the feature presentation interview, I wanted to highlight some passages from an article in a great series that Mark wrote for StarWars.com that delves into the history of Star Wars in the UK. This one, titled The First Star Wars Christmas, details the film's arrival in British cinemas and serves as a fitting prologue to Mark's story. He notes that the week Star Wars opened, London cinemas were running genre gems like The Giant Spider Invasion, John Carpenter's Dark Star, Future World, Demon Seed, and Godzilla vs. the Cosmic Monster. British youngsters opened their Christmas gifts to the sad news that Charlie Chaplin had passed away, but Star Wars was still two days away. The film had its UK premiere on December 27, 1977 at the Leicester Square Theatre and the Dominion, taking in a record-breaking 117,690 pounds to overtake Jaws' record of 90,655 from the year before. As we'll get into further in the interview, movies tended to open first in London and then spread out across the rest of the country, so this meant that Star Wars stayed exclusively at these two theaters for over a month before it expanded to 12 major cities on January 28, 1978, and then an additional 16 cinemas in the greater London area the following week. Mark writes that the popularity of the film was instant, and the police came down hard on touts who sold two-pound cinema tickets for up to 30 pounds a ticket, and getting what they demanded. That's just crazy. He also offers some really interesting quotes from British movie reviews. The Daily Telegraph sent its science correspondent, Adrian Barry, who was a fellow of the Royal Astronomical Society, to review the movie on December 16, 1977. He said that, quote, until recently, space melodrama films have tended to be made with neither imagination nor money. With the brilliant exception of the Clark Kubrick 2001 A Space Odyssey, they have been badly written B-feature affairs from producers with little knowledge of astronomy or technology. Star Wars is far removed from these shoddy productions. It is the best such film since 2001, and in certain respects, it is one of the most exciting ever made. He also says that the story is unpretentious and pleasantly devoid of any, quote, message. English film critic and historian Derek Malcolm had this to say in his review for The Guardian, 
which was titled Lucas in the Sky with Diamonds. Quote, It isn't the best film of the year. It isn't the best science fiction ever to be translated to the screen. It isn't a number of other things either that sweating critics have tried to turn it into when faced with finding some plausible explanation for its huge and slightly sinister success considering a contracting market. Last year it was Jaws, which gave us more dangerous frisions, and not long before that it was The Exorcist, with enough green slime to give us all nightmares. Inevitably, 1977 was going to be the year of safer pleasures. Star Wars, let me tell you, wasn't given its U certificate for nothing. The only exclamation the producers want from you is, wow. Well, I think they definitely succeeded with that. Alright, let's hit the feature presentation with Mark Newbold. And now for our feature presentation. So I was born in March of 71, um, a few hours before April the 1st, so I'll just about dodge that one. Um, I grew up in, I was born in Edgbaston, near Birmingham, in the Midlands, which is the the UK's second city, and grew up as a kid in a place called Burntwood, which is where I live now, moved back there a few years ago. Um, and I've just got a sister, just, I've got a younger sister, everybody thinks we're twins, which brings me great delight because I'm four years older than she is. <laughs> Um, and, and as a kid, I was very lucky. I always, always had plenty of friends and always had lots of playmates. Um, and, and thankfully, uh, you know, we all had similar interests as, as little kids. You know, everybody was playing with the Tonka toys and Action Man was the thing over here, which is G.I. Joe in the States. And, and, you know, it was all that sort of normal sort of kiddie stuff. Matchbox. We had Matchbox. You guys have Hot Wheels. It was a similar <laughs> thing. So right. it was just it was very much a 70s kid kind of kind of life, you know flared trousers and wacky haircuts and all that sort of stuff. Did you go to the movies often? And were there any particularly memorable films that you saw that, that made an impression on you? Before Star Wars, um, considering we only lived about three, four miles away from, from the cinema where I first saw Star Wars, I'd only seen two films at the cinema before I saw Star Wars. I saw um, probably, probably, oh, I'd say three quarters of 101 Dalmatians because we turned <laughs> up late, which uh-huh. was a recurring theme. Um, and then I saw Benji, which for, for a long time was my favourite film ever. I feel love all around. I can feel it shining down. And then I saw, and then I saw Star Wars. So it's funny, I, I thought about it the other day. I thought, wow, if, if I hadn't have seen Star Wars, I think I could have just got stuck in a loop of only seeing films that starred dogs. <laughs> 101 Dalmatians and Benji, that, you know, it, there was a theme. And the dog was uh, a neat dog. You know, I felt when I left the movie, I felt that uh, I knew that dog. So I'm glad Star Wars broke me out of that theme. <laughs> That's great. Um, so how, how did you first become aware of Star Wars and, and what made you interested in it? 
uh, awareness. I mean, obviously, the film came out in May in the States and didn't right. come out till December in the UK, and it didn't really roll out properly in the UK till sort of Easter of 78, really, by the time everybody had got it. So, mm-hmm. but despite that, even as kids, um, you know, you'd hear about things. You know, you, you, we had sort of daily newspaper style programs on the telly, it was a program called Nationwide, and that had mentioned this American film that was doing great business. I think it had interest over here, not just because it was, you know, pretty quickly knocked Jaws off the number one spot and was just doing crazy money, but because it was filmed here as well. So a lot of the cast, especially the supporting cast, but, you know, the, even right. the principal cast, a lot of them were British, you know, and household names. So so I think there was an interest and, and the fact that it was filmed at sort of Elstree and, and Pinewood and Shepparton and stuff, you know, there was there was definitely a, a boost to the British film industry. And Star Wars was really the start of that. But as a little kid, I wasn't quite so aware of all of those elements. It was just friends, you know, slightly like kids with kids with older brothers would sort of start to hear about it. And and it's strange because I, I do I have been sort of thinking about this a lot, especially with the 40th anniversary coming up. We right, were quite yeah. aware of of Star Wars before, you know, before it even came, before mm-hmm. it even arrived. So when it did finally arrive and had already you know been this monster hit in the States, everybody was keyed up and primed for it, even though I was only six at the time. I still remember sort of being mega excited about going to see it. So how did your first theatrical viewing come about? Uh, I think it was a lot of pestering on my behalf to my dad. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, in 76, my dad had just left the job he was working in to go self-employed. So he was, and you know, was young family and such, me and, uh, you know, a sort of three-year-old sister. So I just remember saying to my dad, oh, dad, please, 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 can I go and see this film? Because <laughs> obviously now, today, if your dad didn't want to take you to the cinema, Mm-hmm. He could be sneaky and download it off the internet, but back then there was no internet. So, well, officially there was no internet. Right. Um, so, it, you know, the only option was going to see it at the cinema. Yeah. So uh, not even, I don't think, v, well, VHSs were around, but they weren't a big deal But at that point. Um, so, yeah, he finally kind of caved and cause he wasn't that fussed about seeing it and took me to see, uh, to, to see Star Wars at the ABC Cinema in Cannock, which okay. is a theatre that has changed hands lots of times over the years. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, and I do remember we walked in, and this, and it, I, <laughs> strangely enough, I used to have an audio copy of each of the original trilogy on cassette. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that stuck in my head, well, to be fair, it was a special edition version, so it was slightly different. Timing was probably slightly different. Uh-huh. But Han Solo doesn't come into the film until pretty much about 40 minutes. Right, right. And I just remember we walked into the cantina scene, so we'd missed the first part. Just like 101 Dalmatians, <laughs> we'd missed the first portion of the film. So I never saw the Star Destroyer oh, for the first man. time. see any of that for the first time. The first thing I saw of Star Wars on the big screen was Greedo pointing a gun at Han Solo. That was my first scene. <laughs> so crazy. So, yeah. So that was my that was my first memory of seeing Star Wars. And luckily enough that it it wasn't the final screening that night. So the lady, the nice lady at the cinema, allowed us to stop and watch the first sort of forty minutes of the next screening. <laughs> okay. So I did see the whole film, but just not in the. It was like seeing Pulp Fiction. It was all out of order. Yeah, I can't imagine walking in and and not being aware of of the the opening. That is <laughs> that's that is something. Uh, so what were your initial impressions, and and how did the crowd react? Uh, back then, British crowds, 
it sort of ebbed and flowed. It was it was the late 80s when crowds were kind of actively told not to cheer. So the last uh-huh. film, the last two films I remember seeing at the cinema where people really clapped and cheered was Roadhouse and Die Hard. Welcome to the party, pal! And then it was almost <laughs> like there was an unspoken rule that you weren't allowed to make any noise in the cinema. Uh-huh. But back then, people were quite were still quite into it. And yeah. so I, my, I, I couldn't swear to the exact reaction, but my recollection is that everybody was just as rapidly attentive as I was mm-hmm. uh, in the film. And I do remember my dad, it was hard to please, came out and said he really enjoyed it. But like I say, I was only six. <laughs> yeah. you know, so it wasn't like an adult, adult to adult conversation. But I do, I, I said, did you like it, dad? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was really good. So, you know, that was kind of cool. I was like, oh, my dad likes something I like. Yeah. But um, yeah, my memories of it was that it went down well. Um, it went down well in the UK generally, um, just as just as a, as a as an event, mm-hmm. which, which of course it was in the states. And now, was there any one scene or moment that had the most impact on you from the start? Uh, yes, this is where probably. I mean, the Helen Greedo scene has always mm-hmm. stuck in my head, right? Because and possibly because it was the first thing I saw, and and maybe if I'd seen it at the start like I should have done, it would have been the Star Destroyer scene. But uh, but I did see that out of context. But I do remember. Because it was a little bit later that we saw it in the UK, so I wouldn't, I didn't see it till my head tells me it was sort of March of seventy eight. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I'd, I'd have been just coming on seven by then. Um, at the similar time, Saturday Night Fever had come out, Grease was coming out, so they were those three were the big films of the time. Now I was too young to see Saturday Night Fever. That was sort of a fifteen or an eighteen or whatever the certificate was at the time, um, an X or whatever it was. And Greece was obviously everybody saw Greece because yes. it was that kind of film. Right. And I just have an image in my head of the music Night Fever by the Bee Gees <laughs> playing, and and me in my head the image is the X wing flying down the trench, but <laughs> flying from left to right, not right to left. So I've just I've always had this image in my head of an X wing with Night Fever playing. I don't know where that came <laughs> from. I don't know whether they there was a program on that just had, did a little trailer clip and uh-huh. they were going from film to film. I don't know what it was, but that's always been in my head. So weirdly enough, that that is as kind of in there with me oh, as a memory of Star Wars as yeah. anything. I probably imagined it so. <laughs> So, how many times did you convince your dad to take you to see the film? Pathetically, just once. Oh, I didn't okay. see Star Wars again until oh. they did the double bill in 82, when okay. after Empire had come out. Oh, um, okay. And then it hit UK TV October of 82. I think it also hit video at the same time. So, uh, that was I didn't see it again until then. It, it, it's, fra- it's strange as well, because when... When Empire came out, video rentals was, had become a big thing. Well, I mean, me and my mates just rented, rented, rented Empire and Conan the Barbarian. They mm. were just on constant rental. Um, and um, what was the other one? There was another film. Oh, American Werewolf. That was the other one we used oh, to rent yeah. all the time. Okay. And by the time Jedi came out, the whole video, you know, video piracy thing had gone over. So I saw Jedi on pirate video before I saw it at the cinema. So <laughs> terrible. That, that, don't tell that anyone. Is something. Terrible. <laughs> So with with the Empire Strikes Back, when when that came out in the UK, did you get to see it theatrically pretty early on? Yeah, I did. Uh, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, who's still a friend actually, mm-hmm. um, 
all these years later. His dad used to manage uh, a cinema, the Burton Odeon, Burton on Trent. His his dad was the manager, so we used to go occasionally to see films um, just as a treat because he could get us in. And I do remember the first time I saw Empire, it was a double bill, okay. the ultimate double bill. Uh, whereas back in the day, you know, you know, you always got a, quite often you got a B movie, so you go and see. I remember seeing Superman two, and it was with Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> yes, you know, and, yeah. And of course, cinemas, you know, cinemas then you, you would have a break, so I mean, intermission to go and get your ice cream or your chocolates or whatever it was. Intermission's kind of faded out, obviously faded out. Yeah. Because uh, it's wasted time, I suppose, and get more mm. films in. <laughs> but um, but then uh, I remember going to see Empire with Herbie Goes Bananas. That was that was the double. Break. Uh. <laughs> Herbie goes bananas and the Empire Strikes Back. What a double bill! That so, that is incredible. <laughs> and Herbie was—it was a great film. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't—it wasn't Empire, but it was a great film. What are they gonna do with you? They will send me back where I live, with the orphans. But it's okay. They put me back. I run away again. Can we be friends? It's a funny one seeing Empire because obviously when it when it you know Star Wars had been so big and and sequels just weren't really a big a big thing then you know you, you mm-hmm. did get sequels obviously you know Jaws two had come out but that right. wasn't a kids film you know right. and there was sort of you know you'd had a series of films like Bond you know that there were sequels in that respect but it yeah. never felt like Chapter two or Chapter three like each Bond movie apart from the fact they're all you know by by the late seventies they're already on their what third Bond. Um, but fourth, if you count Woody Allen, um, you know, and and um, you know, and and they'd moved on. You know, other films had sequels. You know, there was a French Connection two, and there was a, you know, there's a Godfather two, and all this right. sort of stuff. A, a proper sequel, inverted commas, like Empire. You know, merchandisers didn't think it would take off, so there wasn't as much merchandise for Empire as you well know. And you know, and there was all these other elements that sort of told you that Empire wasn't going to be a hit. Yeah. And you know, I think by the time the box office was tallied up. In you know uh, by the end of sort of 1980, 81, I think I think the top three films of all time was I think it was Star Wars, Jaws, and Empire. So you know it it booked the trend. Everybody, everybody, and it was it was different for us in the UK as well because in America you guys had three years between Star Wars and Empire. Right. We only right. had two. Yeah. So by the time we kind of got Star Wars off the screens in sort of 79. Empire and I know was there was just the around the corner. Empire, yeah. literally, yeah, exactly. It was just there, so so the gap was much smaller. So, mm-hmm. which as a kid waiting from Empire till Jedi, <laughs> oh God, that felt like forever. <laughs> you know, Empire, yeah. Star Wars Empire didn't, but that really did for right. like a long time. But it was yeah. fun. It was fun. It was worth the wait. Yeah. So, in in terms of the re-releases, uh, I know you'd mentioned seeing Star Wars and Empire, the double bill in '82. Uh, had you that? I mean, that was the, that was the next time you'd seen Star Wars. But did you ever see any of the other re-releases? Yeah, yeah. I th- uh, as I remember, um, uh, Empire got re-released. I mean, I, I think, I think. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, these days, a film comes out in December, it's it's, it's out on Blu-ray right, in, in right. April. Exactly. You know, the, you know, you sneeze and it's out. So, mm-hmm. uh, but back then, obviously, you know, reading Box Office Mojo recently, and like ET was in the top twenty for sort of thirty something weeks, and. A film would not be on general release now for 30 weeks. You know, mm-hmm. a film makes 75% of its box office in the first three weeks and, yeah. and, and everything else in, in however long it is until the Blu-ray's out. So, But back then, obviously, you know, Star Wars rolled out on, I mean, in the States it was 32 screens and in the UK it was obviously far less than that. And back then in the UK, now a film will come out on a Wednesday night and it's everywhere on a Wednesday night from Land's End to John O'Groats. It's everywhere on the same night. Back then, it would open in London. I mean, in the right. UK, it opened at the Dominion. And it would kind of spread out, spread out after that, right? 
Absolutely. It just rolled out across the provinces. So, you know, the Midlands didn't get it till sort of February time or January, you know, January, February time. You know, certain parts of the country didn't probably didn't get it till Easter. Yeah. But the panic to see it like now, you know, I, I really wanted to go and see Rogue One again and mm-hmm. check to all my local cinemas and it's gone. Yeah. You know, and yet yeah. back then I, I know that, you know, I saw it in the March, but I know I could have still seen it in, you know, July, August. Right. It would have still been on. Right. So they, they did get re-releases. I mean, Jedi was the best really because very quickly they did the triple bill. So yes. you saw all three and that was, that was, you know, they did it. They did that at Leicester square, I think, or yeah. possibly the dominion. Um, and they, I mean, I saw that fantastic three panel poster. I, I'll never forget yes. seeing that for the first time. That's yeah. No, that's, that's amazing. Um, I can only imagine. So did you ever get to see any of the films in, in London in one of the big, the big venues not there because i lived in the midlands so i mean right. the first time i i, I mean strangely because i'm a big comic fan as well so the yeah. first time i went down to london on my own was 91 oh wow you know i was okay. like 20 yeah you know it was the first time i went to london for it for anything you know mm-hmm. to a big comic convention so uh it just wasn't you just didn't just didn't go yeah um yeah. now i see to spend my life there i was there today <laughs> you know i seem to be there all the time now, yeah but, yeah but so, uh, I've seen all the big films since down there, yeah. But um, but not those. No, it was you know you you travel to Birmingham because we had the Birmingham Odeon then, which was the big cinema locally. But yeah, yeah, it's it's it was it was a good time to be a cinema fan. Yeah, and so I'm a little curious. I, I looked a little bit into the ABC chain and saw that it had kind of changed hands a lot. Is that theater still standing in in Kennock? Yep, it is. Okay. It's strange. I, I, again, you know, things that you connect with a memory, uh, you know, a, an image of seeing Star Wars, two films that I distinctly remember, because I saw Empire at the Odeon in Burton, so that was a separate chain, and it was, you know, different direction, 20 miles away. But seeing any film at Cannock, uh, and it's hard to describe, but the cinema, it's on a, it's just on a sort of a, a street front, it's just, got, you know, marble steps leading up through, uh-huh. you know, um, glass doors, and there was a little kiosk as you walked in where you'd buy your ticket, and a little kiosk next to it, just to look a hatch where you'd buy your, your popcorn or your drinks. Right. And then just around the corner was another hatch where you could buy your programs. Okay. So we had these long sort of, I don't know, 10-inch by 6-inch deep sort mm-hmm. of movie programs for Star Wars. Right, Most right. films have programs then. But yeah. it was a beautiful cover, beautiful. It was all printed on sort of black and pink. Mm-hmm. So all the paper inside was pink, all the photographs were pink. And I remember the very first copy I had, I was one of those annoying kids that used to cut things up and put them into like like photo albums <laughs> uh-huh, and stuff. Yeah. So my first copy got all cut up and <laughs> and wrecked. But yeah. I read that thing to bits. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. read that thing. To bits. So so it's all it's to, completely from that program that I remember. Harrison Ford was born in Chicago in 1942, <laughs> and his dad was Irish. His mom was Russian. Right. Or vice right. versa. You know, yeah. and Carrie Fisher went to the Central School of Speech and Drama and appeared with Lawrence Olivier and come back Little Sheba and all these little things. Mark Hamill was in General Hospital and mm-hmm. will be appearing in Corvette Summer and all these, you know, things that stuck in my head from that, that magazine, you know, that mm-hmm. little program. The, the strange thing about the theatre was it was a two-screen cinema, so you would walk down a long corridor, which was basically the length of the screen one, But and this is so 70s. The wall, <laughs> the ceiling, the floor was like a ruby red, uh-huh. almost like a crushed velour. So yeah. I used to walk along running my hands along the wall because mm-hmm. the wall was like it was like flocked wallpaper sort of thing. It was <laughs> right. it was wonderful. And then they had the small screen at the back for like your B movie, your Simba yeah. guy, the tiger. And mm-hmm. then you go into the main room for you know for the for the big film. Yeah, and it's it's crazy that, that that's just 
a model that is just rare these days. It's just, I oh don't yeah, know. it's it's amazing to see how much things have changed in that in that respect. But it, um, it's strange. The cinema's still there. It's now called the Electric Cinema. Okay, um, and that's a chain. No, it's oh. it's it. The cinema closed. I mean, it, it stopped being an ABC, and then it closed for a while. Okay, uh, and then it got bought by a private, a private owner. Mm-hmm. Um, a wealthy businessman from Wolverhampton, which is not far away. Okay. Uh, no, and this I think it's got another one somewhere locally as well. I'm not entirely sure where that is. But when you go in, it's the same steps going up. You know, it's it's not got the crushed floor walls or anything. The seats are better than they used to be because they, you know, they were they were the original seats. I think yeah. they were ancient. Mm-hmm. And it's a good sound system, great value. But uh, the thing I always remember is as you came out of the cinema. And in Britain, you always had adverts, Pearl and Dean, you know, um, advertising, you know, uh, I don't know, a local Indian restaurant, you know, and they, yeah. they always had the thing up on the screen, you know, go, go to the Bengal Indian restaurant, 200 <laughs> yards or 200 feet from this cinema already. Right, right. You know, and, and you go outside and there was other shops uh, sort of opposite the cinema. And then you turn left and walk to the corner of the road. But as you walked around the pavement, it would bank. It would almost bank and raise about sort of 10 foot up around the corner. And on the corner was a great big advertising hoarding and then fences. And I distinctly remember as a kid two times seeing people queuing from. And then there was a car park at the back, a very open plan car park. So people were queuing from the edge of the car park all the way down. So you'd sort of bank <laughs> down and round to the right uh-huh. to the road where the cinema was absolutely crammed full of people for star wars and the next time i saw a, a huge queue like that was for et it was exactly the same for et that was obviously the big the next big big monster film it took so much more of an effort to, to oh, see wow. these you had and... to you had to want it you had yeah to, you had, i mean the amount of people that would go and see especially in the states kids who would go and see star wars in the morning and then just go and queue get back get to the back right. of the queue and go and watch it again in the afternoon yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was kind of the same here because we it's pre-multiplex era so most cinemas were two three four tops you know yeah. i'm not referencing the band i mean four screens at maximum you know um and so, yeah, you had to queue or, or you couldn't really pre-book your tickets then. You just no. had to queue and wait until you got it. Whereas, like you say, now you can book your tickets online on your mobile phone, turn up, walk in, sit down, have a beer, you know, <laughs> lay down. Yeah. It's a completely different experience. And, and obviously the present presentation's better and yeah. it would have been better if George had got his way and we'd have had full digital projection by now. But there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, you know, the sound is better. And in every way, really, it's a better experience visually and aud- audibly or right, audio right. and such. But. Yeah. I do kind of miss the, the, the element of, and I don't want to sound like an old fart, but, you know, I think now Star Wars is so on tap. You know, if you, you want to read the latest comic, you can watch it on, look at it on the computer. The latest mm-hmm. episode of Rebels, you can watch it on YouTube if somebody's been smart enough to, or naughty enough to, to put it on there. Everything is accessible. Literally everything Star Wars is pretty accessible with very few exceptions. Back then... You, you kind of feel like you had to not work for it, but you had to be patient mm-hmm. and you were drip fed stuff because there wasn't a lot of Star Wars stuff. I mean, outside of the films and the, co- you know, there was the comics, and the figures. Right. I mean, people talk about it being, you know, the, the 40th anniversary of the Star Wars action figures. Not really. It's not until 78 that, you know, <laughs> they didn't start coming. You got, right. you got your early birds set, but you didn't get your figures. Yeah. So, you know, you really had to wait for your Star Wars merchandise. And, uh, but I think it was worth it. Meanwhile, we'll be seeing our Star Wars heroes and villains in other forms too, even before the film itself. You mentioned getting the program before, and I was just wondering if, if there are other instances, or did you have an immediate interest in wanting to take the movie home with you, so to speak? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, I mean, uh, wow, I mean, that program, 
in sort of March of 78 would have been one of the very first things I got pretty much yeah. the same month. My first issue, because we got Star Wars Weekly as opposed to the monthly, which you guys got, and we were yeah. way behind. Um, so February, early February of 78 was when Star Wars Weekly began. Uh, and I got issue six. So maybe that was maybe that was April, I okay. guess, if you work out the numbers. Late March, early April would have been my first issue. So within a couple of weeks, I would have got that. My uncles, I've got fairly young uncles at the time, so one had bought the soundtrack album. And, of course, the double LP of the show. Lovely music. And this is a splendid cover here. In the centre, you've got all the photos of different scenes there and a rather nice, plain cover. Which I, the double vinyl, which I obviously wanted, so he mm-hmm. sold it to me for a pound, <laughs> which was kind of cool. Back when my pocket money per week was 50p, yeah, my, I'd yeah. go to my grand and granddad's and they'd get, you know, my great granddad would give me a florin, which was like 10 pence, uh, which was like a fortune then. Um, <laughs> they could buy a week's worth of sweets for 10 pence, uh, you know, and all these things. So I'd sort of got all my little bits of money together and, and my grand just gave my uncle a pound note and said, oh, go on. So I had that. And then my other uncle, my mum's brother, had the novel. And of course, must have the book of the film so mm-hmm. when i was six and it was the, the proper novel not the kids novel so yeah, when i was six yeah. i was reading the full novel of, of star wars right. so I was quite a, quite a good little reader yeah um so there was all those kind of things the first figure i got was death star droid okay so i, <laughs> I should have totally made him my collecting focus i never did but uh, but yeah anything that you could get with star wars on i remember getting one of the the transfers for your t-shirts you mm-hmm. know when they were doing all the, the quick win stuff the easy right the quick to print stuff you know right the back of our um, um nabisco that did the the cereals you know that on shredded wheat and stuff they did uh the um the transfers like the scratch on rub on transfers the lecture set stuff on the back of the uh, uh, breakfast cereal so there was things like that and yeah. very quickly and everywhere you looked it really did seem quickly maybe it wasn't as quick as i'm remembering but it felt like everywhere you looked all of a sudden you'd see the star wars logo all kind of really r- rubbish approximations of the star wars logo <laughs> and then all of a sudden everything seemed to have a, a space tinge like in the charts right. there was lots of songs that seemed to have a you know, I lost my heart to a Starship Trooper sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and there was all these, you know, Star Wars seemed to invade, in a good way, sort of seemed to invade everything. And I know you guys had it the same in the States, you know, Donnie and Marie show and all, yes. you know, and yeah. everything like that. So it, it didn't take long to inveigle its way into the, into the society, the fabric of culture. How have the movies maintained an influence in your life, and, and what part of have those original cinematic experiences played in that? That's a good question. Wow, I mean, I think see, seeing Star Wars, no doubt about it, and I said this to a friend, I remember saying this to a friend oh, so many years ago. Wow, I was maybe 10 or 11 when I had this conversation mm-hmm. with a friend who's, who's always been a friend and I'm actually going for a curry with him next week <laughs> believe it or not and we both live back in Burtwood we both moved away and come back we both live in the same town and then four of my friends who I've known since wow preschool we still keep in touch and yeah. catch up every you know, every three or four months all started off as Star Wars fans um, I'm, I'm, I'm the nut that, that stuck with it full on um but they all appreciate it we all go and see the films every now and again but but i think what what it was for me was that um apart from the fact that i just adored it and i mean i liked i always liked sort of fantasy and sci-fi sort of stuff i wasn't a huge doctor who fan which kind of feels like a prerequisite for a british kid from the 70s right. but i wasn't a huge right. doctor who fan um I liked Space 1999, I, but I loved the American import, so I loved Six Million Dollar Man and, and things like that, you know. And then this time went on 
obviously Star Wars comes out and then, you know, Glenn R. Larson is very quick to get Battlestar out and, you know, and, and all these things start coming and Book Rogers comes out and, and, and all these shows start popping up and they all catch you interest because you're kind of starved for Star Wars apart mm-hmm. from your, your comic or the odd, you know, the Han Solo novels came out and, you know, and, and you get into those and you're playing with your friends, with your action figures and making up your own stories. So for me, in 82, I started writing my own Star Wars story because I just didn't want to wait any longer for, for stuff to come. So okay. I started writing fiction in 82, you know, and, and some friends we were going to – actually, step back a year. In 81, we were going to make a cine film. A friend had a cine <laughs> camera, and another friend was a, a good little musician, and uh-huh. we all worked this sort of story for a script. And, and then some of the characters from that ended up in – this story I wrote in 82 and I've, I've never really stopped. I don't get a chance now with Jedi news and everything. I don't yeah, get a chance to write. Yeah. used to, but, but we built up and in, and then I moved and became friends with somebody else and we worked on these things together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just built up. I think we got like 200 stories, thousand characters, 300 planets, 600 wow. vehicles. Insane. <laughs> I actually remember at one point, um, um, TSR, when it was still TSR, they actually worked out how many, uh, characters and locations they got, and we'd got more than they got at that point. It was just <laughs> insane. Yeah. So, I think, but also just the whole excitement of going to the cinema and the cinema feeling. I mean, cinema should feel like an event. Going to the cinema should be something special. It's not like flicking on the telly. It's. I always think it's the difference going to the cinema as opposed to watching it on DVD at home. And it's great watching it on DVD or Blu-ray. But I always think it's the it's the same sort of thing. And I hope this makes sense. You can listen to your favorite album. I've been listening to, I'm a Metallica fan, so I've been listening to the new Metallica album in the car today, and mm-hmm. I love it. Well, I know I have all the control. I can replay that track, I can pause it, I can skip to the next one. The power's in my hands, but if mm-hmm. that song that I like on the album comes on the radio, I'm, I'm, it's got me because I've got no control over the list. You know, I've got to listen to it. If I want to hear it, I need to pay attention. You know, so I've got no control over it. And it's when you're at the cinema, and you can only see films at the cinema, which as a kid in the 70s was pretty much your only option. You know, you, you absolutely paid as much attention to it as you possibly, possibly could. Thanks again, Mark. Uh, this was a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate you coming on. Oh, absolute pleasure. Anytime, really. I always enjoy talking about Star Wars. So, so if you've got Star Wars in the in the uh, in the topic, then I'm happy. Just warm you up and let me go. Yeah, I think we might have to do a whole other interview just on the Caravan of Courage because that's I think that's an <laughs> it's an unloved segment of Star Wars theatrical releases. So. Um, yeah. as, as someone who, who uh, was in a country where it was released on the big screen, that that's that might be a little special special episode sometime down the line. But yeah, thanks again, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. All the best. Cheers. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. Thanks again to Mark Newbold for joining me to tell his story. On the next episode, we'll be returning stateside to hear from a Staten Islander whose Star Wars story began in July of 1977. Until then, you can find out more about the podcast and this episode's guest, as well as new blog posts and articles at the project's main website, StarWarsAtTheMovies.com. 
You can keep up with the project at the Star Wars at the Movies Facebook page and Facebook group. And the site's Instagram handle is at Star Wars at the Movies. Finally, you can send me an email at starwarsatthemovies at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and remember... Relax. It's only a movie, and it's all for fun.